Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. today so welcome treat for everyone tuning in live we have an amazing guest for you all i'm really really excited uh because we're gonna learn a lot i know i'm gonna learn a lot and one of my main reasons for doing this podcast as i was telling our guest is just having all these conversations that people are having behind closed doors out in the air and airing opinions and saying hey what why don't we just ask them why they do it that way or what their policy is on that or how they form their opinion and talk about it, because why not? So I am joined today by Daniel Barus, who is the co-founder of Slice Engineering, which he co-founded in 2017. It always happens that my bios disappear the moment that I hit the live button, but this time I predicted it, and I knew to pull it up. So Slice has been recognized with numerous awards, including the 2021 Startup of the Year for the 3D Printing Industry, Outside of work, he likes to read, run, and spend time with his wife and son, which is something we shared. And Dan studied mechanical engineering in college, traveled the world with nomadic parents, and is just generally a super interesting and lovely human being that I got to know at Formnix. Dan, welcome. Dan, Daniel, Daniel? Uh, yeah, either one. Yeah, Dan, okay. Dan is what most people call me. So thank you for the uh, great bio intro. Welcome. Nice. Thank you for providing the great bio. So I'm really excited to have you. And everyone in the comments, just let me know that you can hear the audio uh, well, because I'm trying out a different mic. So if I'm louder or quieter, do let me know. And Bert, Bert, thank you so much for the super chat. That is super appreciated. Dan, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. And we're going to cover a lot of different things. But first, I want to know how you got into 3D printing. So you studied mechanical engineering. Is that where you were exposed? Yeah. Or how did you first get exposed to 3D printing? Yeah, first exposure was definitely in college studying mechanical. So you're kind of, uh, you can't do mechanical basically and not get exposed to 3D printing on some level. Although I wish there was more exposure when I was in college. Uh, I think now there is a lot more of that. We're close to my alma mater actually. And uh, there's a, a lot more emphasis on added manufacturing technologies now. And there's a whole, there's multiple labs on campus now where they have metal printing and all sorts of cool things that they did not have. Uh, when I was in school. But um, yeah, first exposure was in college. And then I worked in the medical device industry in on the manufacturing side, for the most part after that. Mm -hmm. And there was a need for 3D printing there, we used it in line at work. And that's essentially, uh, I ended up getting one at my house, my co founder had one at his house, and we were kind of playing around with stuff. And uh, Chris, my co founder ended up um, deciding there could be a better hot end. So that's, that was the genesis of, of how what this was that first printer out. that you got? Uh, we had craft bots. Okay. Yeah. We had craft bot two plus. Yeah. Wow. That yeah, was, they're so a, that was a European company. Interesting. And so at the time I imagine that, uh, hot ends were not anywhere near where they are today, but what, what was it that made you say hot ends? Because, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, I'll tell you a funny story. So I used to sell luxury car parts. And oh, cool. Yeah, a lot. We did a lot of business in Florida. Uh, and I luxury bet. car parts were BMWs. And I remember one time I sold a set of wheels that were like $10,000 with tires cool. and everything. And I think we made like $70 because the customer just chiseled us down so much. And I took it to the tire shop, a guy from Indonesia. 
and he asked me, he's like, how much did you make on the set? And I was like, I don't know, 70 bucks after everything, which doesn't even cover my gas to come over here and get the tires on. And he goes, you see this hubcap? Like the hubcap insert thing. And, uh, and I go, yeah. He goes, not sexy, right? Not as sexy as saying you sold a $10,000 set of wheels. I was like, oh. yeah. He's like, yeah, the, the guy who owns this factory is a good friend of mine, and he just bought his fourth Lamborghini. I was like, so, so I'll ask him, because <laughs> making printers is really sexy, right? Yeah. What made you say, uh, what made you say hot ends? Of all the things, right? Not software, sure. not the beds, not, you know, belts. Why hot ends? Yeah. So it was, it was two things. One of our core values is let form follow function. So we try to think that way, you know, sort of a, an engineering mantra, so to speak. And so we were looking for something that we, a problem that we could actually solve, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the function. And then there needed to be a business case behind it. And uh, so I looked at the PC industry. Uh, my role at the time at the medical device company where we worked was I was analyzing uh, startups and then providing a report to the C-suite, the executive team about basically could was this startup number one viable and then would the technology fit within our publicly larger publicly traded companies portfolio and should we acquire them and then i didn't make any decisions after that i just made like a little report recommendation send it upstairs and they made the call uh but i got to interview a bunch of founders and learn their business plans and i was running business cases and so i looked at the pc industry and how it sort of grew and there's been a lot of this is not an original idea a lot of folks have drawn parallels between the PC industry and how it grew and expanded and the additive industry. Right. And what you saw in the PC industry was that over time, the margins on a PC got smaller and smaller and smaller until yeah. they basically vanished, right? And the only way companies could compete was then to offshore manufacturing. All right. computers used to be sold in the US used to be made in the US. They're all now made overseas. Uh, however, Folks like Intel, who were making core components, not necessarily, uh, you know, the screws or, or, uh, so let's say non-core components, but core components, they were able to retain margin longer term, and so that's why I looked at the hot end uh, right. as a potential way to do that. But first and foremost, we wanted to be able to solve a problem, and so the business case was a was a secondary consideration. Um, mm -hmm. Building a printer is also really hard. Like to do it well is really really hard, and there were only two of us, and we didn't have any money. So we're like, okay, how do we, how do we start a business? We knew we wanted to start a business. We knew we wanted to do it in additive because uh, we were passionate about that. But how to do it effectively was basically the answer we were trying to, that's the problem we were trying to solve for. Right. And so I'm going to play dumb, but also I'm dumb. Uh, so Slice is known for the mosquito hot end and kind of give me mm -hmm. your, your claim to fame, right? Like if I, if I, all I know is the hot end that came on my Creality or Prusa, like why does someone buy mm -hmm a slice hot end what is it doing better um and yeah let, let's start there sure so our basically you're familiar with usps are unique selling points so mm -hmm. our selling points are performance reliability and quality mm -hmm. so if you are somebody who is for example running a print farm and you want to have reliable performance over the long term uh that's where we come in so if you want to see improved higher speeds, for example, higher mm -hmm. throughput, uh, we can provide that. If you want something that's going to run instead of for hundreds of hours, for thousands of hours, 
right. we can provide that. If you want something where you care about the quality of the final output, a lot of our customers are in industrial applications. Mm -hmm. And so they have to certify the, or invalidate the entire process. They care about not only what is the process used to make the part, what are the material inputs, what are all the components in this supply chain? And they have to be able to certify this entire thing and say, these are all parts that comply with FDA regulations or um, FAA regulations or, you know, Department of Defense, uh, you know, mil spec stuff. So if you're in that type of category, that's really where we shine. Got it. That's, and that's so it sounds like from what you're saying, really uh, direct to hobbyist is a small part of your business compared to businesses that really need exacting standards. Yeah, I'd say we when we started it, the hobbyist side was the majority of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly no longer the case. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. We certainly so still support that side of the market, right? Like we we have a lot of customers that have been with us since 2018 when we launched at the Midwest Rep Rap Festival. I mean, that was very much, right. it's a hobbyist show. We love those shows. Uh, they're a ton of fun. You get to hang out yeah. with people. Um, but yeah, the, the majority of our revenue doesn't come from that. And I've, I've kind of come to realize that that's like almost everybody except maybe Creality, right? Is uh, we hobbyists yeah, enjoy the fact that businesses like yours or Prusa or maybe even Bamboo, right? Uh, a lot of them, their R&D budget doesn't come from us, right? It comes from the business <laughs> clients. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like Formula One, right? Like I, I'm not getting the technology that Ferrari's putting in their F1 car or maybe a better example is like Honda is putting in their F1 car. But I'm benefiting mm -hmm. from the fact that they're out there doing that, right? And oh, totally. Yeah, you're getting same. regenerative brakes on your hybrid. You're getting, right. uh, you know, better materials technology from the engine because they've tested it for thousands right. of hours on a racetrack at 8,000 RPM. Right. Yeah, and so totally. let's get into kind of the, what Slice is known for, which is you guys have a unique stance on IP, and, and you guys are mm -hmm. known to patent um, your designs. And that is no longer at nearly as controversial as it used to be. But give me the background because as I, as I said before we hopped on the sure. call, and to everyone saying that my audio is low, I know, but I don't have any way to bring it down up. So I'm going to bring Dan's audio down, and then you can all increase your volume, and then hopefully it's all going to work out. Um, when I met you at Form Next, I, I didn't know all this stuff because I was very new to this whole world, and I asked you your opinion of Fetus. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I got filled in later, and I was like, man, I embarrassed myself. So... Give us the background, right? Because I get that question all the time, so not not embarrassing at all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. give us the background, right? Uh, you sure. guys, take take it away. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, I guess first part is yes, we we do have patents. Uh, I think that's probably obvious to everybody. Um, we launched the company with patents from the very beginning, so there was never like a oh we made a big pivot or something. Our very first right. prototypes had that we sold at Murph uh, had the patent pending, you know, label on it, which is a legal requirement in the United States. So we, you know, complied with the law in that case, uh, or in all cases. <laughs> um, so what we've done since then is in 2019, early 2019, we launched a Kickstarter campaign and we launched a, an open source product line called Copperhead. And so we have a, a whole product line that is an open source product line. And uh, some of those parts are used on non-open source machines, for example, um, mm -hmm. or they're used in, I mean, uh, all, all sorts of applications. 
but we do have a full open source product line. All of our manufacturing drawings are posted online. Most other companies aren't going to post their manufacturing drawings. They're going to post right. some very stripped down version, right? Even uh, companies that have a very hard uh, FOSH or free and open source hardware stance mm-hmm. typically don't post their manufacturing drawings. Uh, so we do that for all of our open source products. And then we post sort of a more scaled down versions of our patented products, uh, drawings of, of our patented products and the step files. And those are all shared under a non-commercial license. So if you want to take our patented stuff and, you know, do research with it, modify it, you know, uh, remix what all that stuff is fine. Right. Um, we love that. We endorse that. Uh, we're just asking you not to sell it commercially yeah. uh, because that's how the um, innovation cycle gets broken. <laughs> if we right. if we can't reinvest the profits back into the business, then uh, you don't hire more people and you don't actually come out with new products or, or innovate. You're just a, a one-hit wonder, so to speak. Right, or a, a foundation, I guess, on some level. Or a foundation, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you're a nonprofit, that's a, that's a different way to, to do it. And yeah. so I don't want to, I don't think there's any value in getting into the drama, but like what the way that you guys became known for this is Fetus, I don't know, it, allegedly, or you guys, you guys felt that Fetus copied your design and was commercially selling it. Yeah. So actually predating Fetus, there were uh, quite a number of companies on, particularly on AliExpress mm-hmm. that were selling products that were literally called mosquito clone, <laughs> you know, and they were taking, they were taking our trademarks. They were taking our, they were literally copying text right off of our website for the product descriptions and taking photos that like Chris had hand had like taken those photos and I'd written the copy and, uh, and they were just taking, just stealing everything right off the website and posting it on AliExpress. And, um, so obviously there's a number of problems with that, but, uh, so we started to find ways to stop that from happening, um, as much as we could. And, uh, so the first kind of blowback that we got was when we took down from, or not us, but Alibaba Ali group, their intellectual property group, took down a listing of a, uh, a clone of our product made by a company called Mellow called NF Crazy. And uh, so they did, weren't calling it Mosquito Clone in the title, at least, but it was down there, you know, sort of in the, in the meta tags and stuff. Uh, so anyway, we, we had that product taken down because it looks exactly like our product, basically. Right. Um, and that's what started the initial blowback where people, like we got banned from the Voron Discord instantly without uh, being able to even give a defense of ourselves, which is sort of an unusual uh, right. situation. Uh, we had a whole bunch of people got really upset at us from posting mean things online and calling me names. Uh, which is normal online behavior, I guess, nowadays, but still right. not very pleasant. No. Uh, and then months after that, we had the first takedown of a um, uh, a product made by by Fetus, which is their Dragon Hotten, which does mm-hmm. infringe on our utility patent, mm-hmm. and uh, both in the United States and in China, actually. So we have utility patents for that product in in both countries. Uh, right. So Fetus acknowledges that their stuff infringes on our utility patent. Uh, they've said as much to me in a video call. Um, and we actually looked initially for, uh, we sent them a, a cease and desist letter. Uh, and we looked for a way to do 
uh, if you're familiar with the term FRAND, but fair, reasonable, uh, and non-discriminatory licensing. Uh, but they would not agree to uh, basically pause production while we of their infringing right. product and stop selling it. So it's, it's kind of like, imagine if uh, somebody came and robbed your house and then you're like, okay, we can settle this, like give me my stuff back and then we can, we can work it out. But right. they were like, no, we're not going to give you your stuff back. We're going to keep taking it. And while we while we're it keep out. taking it, please, please give us a license, right? <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't feel very good. No. So that's kind of where the negotiations broke down. Um, so I, I'm not a huge fan for, for obvious reasons of, of the yeah. Fetus brand. Uh, they've since done a lot of other things that don't infringe on our IP in particular. Right. Uh, they do infringe on other folks' IP, and they have actually way more patents than we do in China. Uh, and they've patented a lot of things that, um, for example, Olson, Ruby, uh, the, the nozzle company in Europe, they have a, um, a Ruby nozzle. So it's a, a Ruby in the tip of a, of a brass nozzle. Right. Uh, Fetus has patented that design in China. So Olson literally cannot legally sell their own products in China. Which because they developed. Of, which they developed, right? <laughs> uh, because of this practice. So not great. Um, you know, if Fetus was willing to have a, another conversation with us, we'd, we'd be happy to do that. But it would have to be contingent on, um, you know, you stop doing what you're doing, essentially. Yeah, so uh, let me ask this question, and, and I'm a noob here. And, and I think the reason, from my limited understanding, I think the reason that the open so or the 3D printing community is so anti-patent is not in principle of, like, people deserve to make money on their innovations, which I think we all agree on, right? Like we all buy from yeah, I think so. Bamboo when they innovate yeah. something, or the, although many people say they, they didn't innovate anything, they took you know open source ideas. I think where people have the issue is that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. It's like with Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't, if, if everything that you've built on, the printer itself, the software, the hardware, da, 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 it's all open source up to this point. And then someone comes along, innovates on top of that, and then says, okay, but this innovation branch, this is mine. And I'm curious mm -hmm. to hear, because on the one hand, and we'll get into, you know, more and more companies, you guys get a lot of flack, but E3D has patented parts. Yep. Bamboo has they patented parts. They started with parts. patents, by the way. Yeah. They started with patents very early on and right. then uh, gave those up because of backlash. Right. Right. And then sort of came back to that stance. Right. And I imagine it was very vindicating that Joe uh, Prusa posted a blog post saying like, hey. I'm not sure open source is sustainable in the future because like it, it shouldn't be open source to the extent that someone can literally just sell a clone of my product. And I think we right. all agree with that, by the way, like yeah, we appreciate open source because it means the source is open to us as consumers. Nobody who, who is giving you flack or any other company for patenting stuff, I think is doing so because, Hey Dan, you should work for free and people should be able to sell clones of your shit if they can make it cheaper than you can. That's not how it works. So, so I would argue that there is a group of people that would say that, that yeah. we should work for free. Everything should be free. Um, Those people have never Unfortunately, paid we all have mortgages, right? Yeah, we all have right. mortgages to pay. Uh, if we need to eat food, you know, like there, there's a very real economic reality um, right. that everything isn't free. Uh, so yeah, there there is absolutely a very vocal fringe of right. people that, that do say that. And um But I'm curious what your take is on the 
you know, standing on the shoulders of giants because sure. there is some yeah. element of like Adrian Boyer and, and the original mm -hmm. designs for FDM printers, well, were patented, but so much of <laughs> consumer 3D printing has come out of open source. And then at, at some point, different people, yourselves and E3D and many others have said, okay, cool, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently and take it. And I support that, but I'm curious what your take is on that. Like, yeah. are we cursed so, uh, to forever work in open source because the original designs and idea was open source? Mm -hmm. So I, I love, uh, you almost made my point for me here. Um, Adrian Boyer, much respect for the man, um, he would not have had the capacity or capability to do the RepRap project if it wasn't for uh, folks who started Stratasys, right, years right. ago coming up with the initial ideas right uh so he's standing on the shoulders of giants too and the folks at stratasys by the way are standing on the shoulders of the folks who did injection molding before that and there's a number of if you read the history of where some of these ideas came from like there, there's nothing new under the sun right right um in the sense of every single human on the planet that has ever had an idea has had that muse so to speak spark mm -hmm. it from some experience that they've had uh, in right. their life. And that's part of the argument for, uh, like if you really wanna go philosophical on the open source versus versus right. patent stuff, the, that argument goes back thousands of years actually with sure. people talking about, it, way before patent systems existed, there was a conversation of, do you own your ideas or not? And so on one side you'd say, people are, are saying, yeah, everything that comes out of my brain, I fully own 100%. And on the other extreme side, you'd say uh, everything that you come up with is not your own idea because it's based on the experiences that you had in whatever community you grew up in. Right. Now, I, I tend to lean more on the um, free thought side of, of the argument, but we do all stand on the shoulders of giants, absolutely. Right. If you look at a patent, any patent, it's going to have a list of prior art. Uh, prior art is uh, things that came before the patent that is being granted that helped to inspire and create the knowledge for that patent. And so if you look at uh, our patent patents, for example, or, or Bamboo's patents, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have a list of prior art in the patent that says, you know, basically gives giving credit. It, it's similar actually to the open source, uh, you know, um, uh, what is the provision in the Creative Commons license for um, attribution? Thank you. Right. Uh, attribution for um, giving credit, basically, where, where credit is due. So both systems have similar um, sort of thoughts behind them around giving attribution. So everybody stands on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, right. The reason we have a hybrid model is because I believe in the fact that everybody who... Um, benefits from something it's just like the same reason we pay taxes, right? Why do you pay taxes? Because you benefit from the community that you live in, right? right? Uh, we have patented certain things that we came up with using non-open source printers, but there were certainly lots of open source printers that probably inspired the non-open source printers uh, that we used. Right. And so we patented our stuff and then we used our hybrid IP model with a lot of open source things and using non-commercial licenses to share as much of that information as possible with the community to hopefully drive further innovation. Right. And 
I mean, to me, it's it's awesome that you guys say, hey, do with it whatever the hell you want as long as you're not reselling it, which I right. think no matter how anti-patent you are, that's just fair. And that's pretty much to the I would agree. <laughs> that's to the tune of what Joe Prusa said. Like, you know, we make our stuff open source so people can tinker with it and so innovation can still happen, but blindly mm-hmm. profiting off of someone else's ideas without innovating in any way, shape, or form isn't cool. It's not cool and right. I don't think any of us would think it's cool. Um Yeah. And you, I, I'd agree with think, that. And yeah. So if you look at the outcry on Twitter or Discord when a a particularly famous um, digital artist's uh, renderings or models are stolen and sold for for profit, right? Like there's there's usually a huge outcry about that, which I appreciate. Like that person put hard work and effort into their art and uh, they created something novel. And that should be, they should be compensated for that if they want to be compensated for it. Like you should have the right to be compensated for your ideas if you want to be compensated for your ideas. Right, right. So Joe said, and I think this is, it's very interesting. And the reason I keep bringing him up is is not, maybe not because I think he's the authority on it, but because I think he's gotten so much credit for everything they've done for open source and, and living and breathing the open source values. Though I know there's a whole faction of people who say they take things from open source and then they commercialize them. So they themselves are doing what we said is maybe not cool. If if they didn't innovate Super Pinda, you know, it's not cool for them to commercialize it. But um, you know, what he was saying is is we need something that's it's not open source, but it's a different kind of license. Do you think that your hybrid IP model is the way, or is there still ways that you could improve that? That you could see people coalescing around a different model that is what is needed to not stifle innovation but allow you to commercialize your ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I do think that we need revision of the current model. I think yeah. the hybrid IP approach is part of it, but I also think that, for example, there's the, the World Patent Treaty, the um, WPO. Uh, they, basically that treaty said, every, we live in a global economy. Everybody's supposed to abide basically by the same rules. Right. Except we don't, right? We, we know that. Um, right. And so I think if everybody abided by those same rules and if the patent system, which was invented 200 years ago and has not kept up with the pace of digital innovation was right. updated, um, I think there would be a lot of improvements. For example, uh, a patent right now, for the most part, lasts for 20 years uh, in a utility patent. Maybe that's too long, right? But if you go to Germany, for example, if you apply for a patent in Germany, you're talking about a minimum time frame of five years to get your patent approved. So what do you do in that case? Do you sit on your patent for five years before you commercialize that product? Well, by that time, the market has out-innovated you, right? Do you wait to introduce it? Do you go ahead and introduce it now while it's patent pending and then uh, have you know face the legal consequences if you have to try to recoup losses? I mean, there's all sorts of issues. So people have talked about shortening the terms of patents. To do that, we'd have to shorten the amount of time that it takes to get patents approved, right? right. Uh, five years is a really long time to wait. Yeah, and I never thought about the fact that maybe the patent system, as much as we say like patents stifle innovation, maybe it's not the fact that the patents exist, but the the system itself stifling innovation. Like, how many people? It 
in a perfect world, we want entrepreneurs and engineers and creative people to be unstifled and unhindered. Right. It should be as easy. I mean, think about the explosion of music over the last hundred years. It is so easy. I put yeah. something online and by default, I have copyright, right? If I publish mm -hmm. it online and I put a little C uh, right. or I, you know, with trademark, you just have to put TM. That's it. TM. You put yeah. TM. And that's it. It doesn't have to be a registered trademark, but you are claiming trademark. And then later, if someone comes mm -hmm. and infringes, you can figure out first use, da 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 da. So right. think about the explosion of innovation in music because I don't have to, as a musician, become a freaking expert in. in you don't have to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> but as yeah. an engineer, you do because you need to know, like, is my idea different enough? And how do I file patents? And I'm sure this is a big part of what you guys do is understanding that, which. Mm -hmm. ultimately the person that ends up paying is the consumer because we don't get as much innovation from you as we could. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly the amount of time and money that it takes, that the process takes right now is uh, prohibitive to right. continuing the pace of innovation at the pace at which we would like to innovate. Right. Um, if you look at the original, so most patent offices in the world right now are based off of the U S model mm -hmm. and the U.S. model is actually written into the, the Constitution. Uh, there's one little clause that talks about um, intellectual property in that inventors should have the rights, inventors and artists should have the rights to their inventions. And the Constitution gave a provision for the creation of the Patent Office, uh, which is pretty cool. It was the only, other than the, um, the postal system, it was the only like, official department established by the U.S. Constitution. Wow. Because a lot of the founders and original authors of that document were uh, inventors themselves, you know, Benjamin Franklin, um, uh, a lot of these Thomas guys Jefferson. were yeah. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. George Washington had some interesting inventions. Uh, a lot of them were inventors. And so they wanted to make sure that their inventions were protected. Uh, but it was much faster at that point to get right. a patent, or at least the pace of innovation wasn't so fast. Right. Right. That's really interesting. So, so I'm curious to hear, it. I don't know if you want to comment, we don't have to go down this road, but I'm interested to hear, you know, because there is a big backlash against bamboo right now. And mm -hmm. on the one hand, they just did a blog post saying like, you know, let the, basically let the, the arms, arms race, race begin. begin. We're super excited yeah. about Prusa. We're super excited that they're pushing things forward. They came out with some stuff we didn't think of. We're excited about it. And, you know, they said in that blog post that the CEO said, you know, we're not going to do overly broad patents. We're not going to this, that, and the other. We're not going to, you know, same as you guys, right? Like we have a hybrid model. It's really just to protect ourselves against people blatantly copying. And then people mm -hmm. on Twitter dug in and are like, isn't this an overly broad patent? Now, granted, myself, Nero, none of us are patent lawyers. Um, but I'm curious what your take is. I don't know if you've had any inter interaction with them, but is that vindicating for you because of you know, your history with the patent system in China, and there are a lot of bad actors. Uh, are you skeptical of the ethos behind that? Or do you just w want to not go into that at all? <laughs> well, uh, I'll say I uh, have not had an opportunity to dig into Bamboo's actual patents. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll also say that the there's a certain way that you have to read a patent. Mm -hmm. So patents are, are inherently confusing because of the way they're written, right? There's so much legalese written into, and there's so much uh, weight assigned to every word that it's difficult to read for right. the average person unless you're used to reading patents. When our patent was granted, our first utility patent was granted, there was a whole uproar where people were saying, slice is patented, be hot end. Now, 
the guy who caused this uproar on Twitter posted a screenshot from the background of the invention section of the patent, mm. which is literally a description of what is the state of the art in the industry right now. Yeah. And then the next section talks about oh, man. what is different about the thing that we are inventing, right? So there is a whole, there's like an intro, there's a background of the yeah. invention, and then there's a claim section, uh, which is what you're actually talking about. Um, and then there's the prior art section, right? So right. there's there's a whole art, so to speak, to reading a patent. So I, I've not right. read Bamboo's patents. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they're overly broad or not. Yeah. Uh, so I'll reserve my my opinion until fair, I've fair. I've had an opportunity to to read those. But I will say, misreading a patent is an easy thing to do. Yes, and actually, just as I asked the question, Kenneth saying asked, "How about the LSD Goliath hot end? What happened there?" Which I think is a great question. I'm curious as well. Sure. Uh, he says, "Same yeah. as Bamboo Lab patenting patenting a belted triple lead screw system," which. It sounds like maybe they tried to, maybe they did, or maybe that's okay. us Twitter army misreading, you know, patent, <laughs> which it may very well be. Yeah. Um, so give us some background there. I don't know anything about sure. it. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know anything about the the belted lead screw system patent. So I right. won't I won't pretend that I do. Uh, what happened with the um, the Goliath hot end is uh, Vez is um, uh, Vez three D is his you know online name. The guy who created the, the Goliath. Uh, he was an affiliate of ours. He was a, a, a very well-paid affiliate of ours. Um, it's his business, how much money he made off of us, but you know, to the tune of tens of thousands. Wow. Uh, so it's a decent amount of money. Um, I gotta get that affiliate and, link polished up, man. <laughs> uh, so at some point he came to us and he said, you know, I want to build my own hot end. And we said, okay, that's, that's cool. You know, build a hot end. And then uh, he came back a few months later and was like, um, I want to build a hot end that uses a similar to the mosquito. And we're like, well, um, if you're not commercializing it, that's totally fine. You know, like if you're just doing content and you're not going to sell these, that's okay. He was like, all right. So then he goes away and he just keeps, in a, you know, iterating on his, on his hot end design. Uh, then he came back and was like, I think I am going to commercialize this. And we said, well, um, that's a violation of our of our affiliate agreement, also a violation of uh, of our patent. Um, we can do a license deal, uh, or you can come and do design work for us. We actually offered him a, a job um, to do design work with Slice, and uh, he declined that, uh, which I understand. He's he's got a you know a full time job where he, he does well for himself, and and uh, and it's a good job. So um, you know, no hard feelings there at all. But then he decided that he wanted uh, Mello to make the hot end for him. And uh, Mello is actively still selling uh, products in French on our, on everything, our copyrights, our trademarks, our, our uh, patents, I mean, across the board. Wow. And so we told him, listen, as long as you're working with Mello, like we can't give a licensing agreement to Mello because I have, um, I need to be able to trust the people that I work with. Because if you can't trust people that you work with, then uh, it just makes for a very difficult relationship, you know. Yeah. Um, no matter what it is, whether it's in a marriage or a friendship or or a business relationship, I, I sleep better at night knowing that I can trust the people that I'm working with, Absolutely. and and I believe everybody does. So when he said, 
listen, we're, I'm going to do this with Mellow. At that point, we're like, all right, well, we can't do a license with Mellow. Uh, we hadn't seen his design at that point, and we said, please go get an, a legal opinion from a lawyer so that we don't run into any trouble down the line. Yeah. And uh, we sent him a very long email like, hey, here are the steps that you should follow. Um, you should get a legal opinion. And he basically told us it was too expensive to get a legal opinion um, and that he was going to go do it anyway. Uh, so when Mello launched the product, we asked Alibaba Group uh, if they thought that the this latest Mello product will infringe on our utility patent. And Alibaba IP Group agreed that it did, and uh, they took it down. What was so, the patent, just out of curiosity? Which it's our it? Mosquito Utility Patent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I don't, you keep saying utility patent. I don't understand the difference mm -hmm. between a utility patent and when people just say patent, do they mean utility patent? What's the difference there? Yes. So there's a, there's a couple of different kinds of patents. They mainly fall into two groups, a design patent, which is the way something looks, the appearance and a utility patent, which is the way something works. Okay. And there's other types of things for like code and chemistry, you know, different molecules. Like there's other types of patents, but within the mechanical engineering world, uh, the main patents are around design. Again, mm -hmm. how something looks, you know, uh, I've got a, a here, jet engine uh, over yeah. here. So there's like Rolls-Royce has, has uh, design patents around that engine. And they also have utility patents around mm -hmm. how the specific things in that engine work. So we have a, both utility and design patents around our products, our okay, patent products. Cool. Very, very cool. And utility is, because if I remember correctly, part of the controversial piece is like you guys have a unique way of separating the heat block from the heat sink. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah, they exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we, we call it, from a marketing standpoint, we call it a roll cage structure. Uh, mm -hmm. But it essentially isolates the heat and also provides a mechanical structure uh, that is very robust. Cool. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. It's making sense to me now. More of it. Let's yeah. get into more of the general questions. And I want to remind our audience, if you tuned in live, one of the perks is getting to ask myself and Dan questions. So feel free to drop them in the comments and uh, we'll be more than happy to answer them. You guys probably have a lot of 3D printers kicking around there that you're testing different yeah. products with. Uh, yeah. What, if you need, I always try to use, not use the term favorite. If you need something to print right now and you don't have time to mess around with it, what's the printer that you're going to? Uh, usually Lulzbots or Infinity uh, printers. We also have Crucius. So those would be the three um, kind of go-to brands for cool. something done kind of cool, right away. Cool, cool. Very, very, how we also have a Railcore. You... Yeah. What's a Railcore? A Railcore is a an open source machine that is a kit, and uh, we use that primarily for testing. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we, we test all sorts of machines, but that's like our um, our test platform for just crazy stuff that won't work on anything else. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. How many printers do you guys have there in-house? Uh, that's a good question. Probably 20-ish, mm -hmm. something like that. We're, we have sort of a rotation where we're, we're bringing them in, test them, uh, we'll sell them. Um, speaking of which, if you want a printer that is uh, outfitted with a bunch of slice stuff and is known to work flawlessly, um, sign up for our loyalty program and we whenever we sell the printers we post them first in the in the loyalty program for people to 
awesome. uh, That's very, very cool. Uh, what are you most excited about in 3D printing as a whole, whether it's a printer, a new technology, a patent, a trend? Uh, mm -hmm. what, what, what makes you really excited to come into work and what makes you excited to, you know, play with your 3D printers? Yeah. Uh, the reason I got into additive is because I, it's one of the few technologies that is developing right now that I believe has sort of world changing potential, not to throw that term around too loosely, but, uh, but it's something I'm very excited about. And probably the thing that's gotten me most excited in the last year is, um, uh, one of our customers is a medical company called Curativa, and they launched about a month ago the world's first uh, fully peak 3D printed implantable um, medical device. And wow. uh, it uses our hot ends, and we've been working with them since 2018. Um, wow. But I was doing research on being able to do that at my company that I used to work for before I started Slice. And so to see that vision realized of being able to do more customized, faster throughput, less expensive uh, medical results that are going to have better patient outcomes is extremely exciting. I mean, it's, um, if you get a spinal fusion surgery after, let's say you have a car accident or something, and basically the the state of the art is they put a big titanium plate in there that your body is never going to accept. Right. And uh, it causes breakdown and damage in the subsequent vertebrae above yes. and below, which is not great. <laughs> so you have basically a decade to 20 years, um, depending on how well the surgery was done and how your body heals naturally before you need a revision surgery, which really sucks. Like, Orthopedic surgery is like carpentry, like it's very hacksaw, like, you know, it's not great. Um, but if you have something that your body will accept, right. uh, peak printed in a particular way with right. certain nanostructure can be absorbed by the body. Right. Um, we did a whole episode on it. You did. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, this is probably one of the most exciting developments in orthopedic medicine in the last two decades. Yeah. And, uh, so more stuff like that, where we can, in a very small way, you know, our contribution to this whole thing is like minuscule, but the way I, talk, I tell the team, like we are, um, I like Star Wars. So we're like Yoda in Star Wars, you know, we try to help our customers along their journey uh, to whatever it is that they want to do. Right. And while we keep innovating on the thermodynamics side. And so being able to help this company do stuff like that and, and really have other cool. customers in the pipeline that are going to do similar things. So that that's what I'm most excited cool. about. Now. For those listening, that was episode four with Guy Naim, who's a university of Jer Hebrew University of Jerusalem researcher working on additional polymers to be able to, that the body accepts as bone and will build tissue around like bone. Yeah. Fascinating episode, way out of that's my awesome. depth. That was, that was like just trying to grasp but super super cool i need to go listen to that one. Oh yeah it's a good one it's a really really good one um zombie hedgehog hey zombie welcome wants to know what do you think has been the best innovation in hot ends outside of slice over the recent years it's a good question the ability to get more flow rate out of uh, the same length of nozzle with Bontex CHT 
uh, nozzle. I know it's not technically a hot end, but it still applies to right. the printing to the print head. Let's let's say. I think that's probably the um, most innovative thing uh, that has come out in the last couple of years. Very cool. And um, we actually played with something similar to that back in 2017, 2018, and couldn't get it to work right. So huge props to Bontech and, and their team and um, the guys over at 3D Solex for figuring out how to get it to work. Yeah, and they patented it as well. They did. Uh, yeah. And their patent is already very thoroughly infringed on AliExpress as well. So yes, may maybe not because I know the ones on AliExpress have a removable bit. So there's been questions yeah. about is that significant enough of a difference? I don't know. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you. So E3D has decided removable hot ends is the way they're going. I asked them at Formnext. They said get on board. Like this is what's happening. We're going to do a high flow one. We're going to do a, a hardened one. Prusa has now switch the mark four to quick swap mm -hmm. and bamboo obviously notoriously like you have to you know swap is this something you guys yeah. are looking at is this something that given the demands of what you guys are doing is not feasible or are you guys on board with hey yeah quick swap nozzles mm -hmm. yeah so one of the nice things about the mosquito is that it's always been easy to swap a nozzle uh so we like that aspect it's one of the things that inspired us building that roll cage structure is the ability to do a nozzle change very quickly. It does still require a tool, but um, you know, engineers like torque wrenches, so <laughs> at least I do. Uh, I know for a fact that it's tight when I tighten it. Um, so it is very easy to swap a nozzle. Uh, I will say we are always looking at industry trends and always exploring uh, new ways of doing things. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be my full my full yeah. comment on that. I really hope that it coalesces. Like I know, you know, we've talked a lot about patents and stuff like that. But like, I swear, if Bamboo doesn't open up their AMS to just all filament manufacturers using the same RFID codes, and like, come on, Prusa, like they they claim that they've been developing their quick swap nozzle even before E3D came out with theirs. So it just you know they were already. But like, come on, we gotta all have the same. If we're gonna do the quick swap thing, like, let's all do it together, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's just it's me. gonna be hard to get standardization in an arms so race. So hard. So hard. <laughs> so hard. Um, yeah. We got some really, really good questions here. Legacy of Bob. Awesome. Since the purpose of patents is to protect innovation, what kind of innovations can you hint at that are coming from Slice that are specific to the consumer prosumer market? If you can hint at any. Yeah. Um. Well, you guys had we you guys sent me a product. Uh, we did. And this answers on another question. Any hints of new products coming from Slice? You sent me a product, and then there was an embargo, and so I haven't gotten a video out about it. But you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I will. I will talk about that. I might so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we will have uh, two new products that we'll be launching at Rapid, uh, which is um, in Chicago next month. It's North America's largest. Uh, 3D printing trade show. One of the products that we'll launch there will be more consumer focused, even though it is at a at an industry trade show, mm -hmm. and it is a uh, a new nozzle that we're very excited about. And then, uh, so stay tuned to our social media. We'll we'll have a new nozzle soon. And then the other thing that we'll be launching is more industrially focused, and uh, it's focused on. Um, 
it's a hot end with even higher flow rate than what we've done before. Very exciting. Which yeah. reminds me, I always forget to do this in the middle of the episode, but we do need to take a quick moment and thank today's video sponsor, which is Sovel, makers of the SV06 Plus, which is their all-new larger i3 style printer with a whole bunch of their own different innovations. But what's interesting about this, Dan, is they have made it completely open source and they share all the step files. Interesting. And they've changed uh, quite a few things on there. I think it's a, I mean, it, the performance, the print size, it's bigger than the Mark III. It costs a fraction as much as the Mark III. Uh, highly polished, fantastic, auto-leveling. They've done some cool stuff with the hot end to make it high flow. It's just a great printer. I played around with the SV06, converted it to Clipper, and it, it was just a beast. It's a phenomenal printer. So make sure to check out the link in the description. You can use coupon code NEXTLAYER to get, I think it's $10 off an order of $259 or more. And thank you to Sovel for sponsoring this episode and so many podcasts uh, that we've done. So thanks, Sovel. Thanks, right, Sovel. Yeah, I'm back. I am back. And you can probably put a slice engineering hot end on the Sovel. You might be able to. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually played with the Sovel, so wait. I think it's really cool what they out. did, right? They said, like, okay, people want a, a Prusa-style printer, but we're going to innovate, you know, and we're going to do things mm -hmm. differently, and we're going to change the way that it, it works, and we're going to, I mean, just the fact that they injection molded, right, is a significant mm -hmm. enough difference, but they changed the hot end. They did a planetary uh, planetary drive extruder. Sure. Yeah. It's like, that's the way to do it, right? If you're gonna If you're going to do a Mark III clone, like, make it better. Yeah, make um, it better. Yeah. And then it's fine, right? Um, <laughs> favorite filaments or top filaments that you guys Ooh. like to print with? Yeah. Uh, so we are a 3DX Tech uh, reseller. Mm -hmm. So I have to give a little plug to 3DX Tech. They make some really, really good um, higher end stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, printed solid makes really solid PLA. Um, yep. There's a number of, of uh, and we buy filament from everybody. We have like a huge filament cabinet <laughs> with filament from all sorts of manufacturers. Um, what have we been printing with a lot recently? We've been printing with a lot of color fab recently. Uh, mm -hmm. They're glow fill stuff. Um, yeah. My favorite personally is just for the ease of use is probably the, the printed solid PLA. Just, it's Very just cool. easy. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what are the questions we have? And make sure to submit your questions, everyone. Uh, Rav Mehmad, hi friend, wants to know, do hey. you print Peak in-house, and if so, on which printer? Yeah, so we sometimes do that, not often. Uh, we had an Intamsis machine that we cycled through and sold. Mm -hmm. um, we now have a machine from Infinity 3DP. Uh, that is uh it's a they're a new partner out of taiwan and so their machine we haven't actually printed peak on that machine yet it just arrived recently but uh, that will be our peak printing machine um at least for the next couple of months awesome last thing you printed uh a garbage truck for my son <laughs> was it the, the one that articulates and then has the little flippy thing uh no so i wish i'd done that one because after i it was printed in multiple pieces, and then he and I sort of like assembled it. 
Yeah. And uh, but then after I assembled it, he wanted everything to articulate. And I was like, ah, I should have done the other one, but I didn't. So My I got literally make one. <laughs> like I put it in his hand in less than five seconds. He broke the trust lifter thing. It was, yeah. it was remarkable how fast he broke it. I didn't even get a chance to video it. Right. Um, that's that's why I decided not to do the articulating one because the last articulated thing I printed for him was an ex an excavator. Because he his two favorite things in the world right now are excavators and garbage trucks. And so the excavator he broke same thing literally instantaneously. It was like here you go, broken. <laughs> my so, yeah. uh, my son is n- not yet at the point where he makes long long sentences, but his current record for longest sentence is I want Abba to make an orange truck. That was that's the longest sentence he's ever said. The <laughs> best awesome. grammar. I was like, I better print a freaking orange truck. That's like you I better want to yeah. that behavior. You know, uh, that's great. My um, the garbage truck I printed was also orange. Yeah, I also I, got orange price. in the bamboo right now. I'm gonna as soon as we get off this call because that thing is noisy. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I don't think we have any more questions. This has been an okay. absolute blast. Where can people learn more about you, uh, check you out? Are you guys on the socials? Do you produce any content or just visit sliceengineering.com? Yeah, so Slice produces a lot of content. I'm uh, uh, a bit of a social media hermit, I guess. And it's um, my family takes up most of my time uh, outside of work. But if you would like to engage with me on social media, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, And then Slices on all the major platforms, uh, sliceengineering.com. You can email us, chat us, call us, uh, direct message us. I'm trying to think if there's any other. Fill out a form on the website. That's awesome. <laughs> all the possible ways you can contact us. And now that I know that me, people are making tens of thousands of dollars on the Slice Affiliate Program, there will be an affiliate link. In, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you should do that. Um, I think we're, we have, we're, I've just been waiting to do some content about Slice, but we have, we're set up. We're, we're set up. Um, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks to everyone for tuning in at Zombie Hedgehog says, thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure as always. And I'm going to let the, uh, let the stream deck take us out and we can wrap after. All right. Here we go. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the infill podcast for show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit the next If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know and consider subscribing to the next layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on the next layer.